you and Cameron beneficial brainwashing experiment. <laughs> yeah. It's beneficial. <laughs> For real. All right, let's get Ooh, started. Um, well, welcome back, everybody. Um, all of our viewers. Today, we'll be talking about uh, MK Ultra, which was a CIA-ran program back in the... Er, I guess it started in the 50s, and it had some other programs and projects after afterwards and it looks like most of this ended in the 70s but it would not surprise me if it was still going on today or some form of it um but why don't we just start with i guess like who the major players were and who led uh this program um so it was headed by this man called Sidney gottlieb and he was an American chemist, and uh, they call him a spy master, which I don't even know. What does that even mean, spy master? A CIA spy master. Um, <laughs> just does rogue operations in other countries, probably. But um, So he was the one who sort of like ran this project. He um, had some sort of scientific background. He was a chemist, so he at least knew a little bit about the drugs that he was administering to these people. He probably was the most, one of the most knowledgeable people about LSD and all this stuff. Um, but so he obviously couldn't do this all by himself and it was headed by the CIA. So Alan Dulles, who was the current director at that time, um, he kind of put this program into motion. And the reasons why they put MK, and we'll kind of get into like what it actually is, but the main reasons why they started this program was they were just scared of the Soviet Union and Korea and China and their kind of abilities to uh, use modern technology and drugs to really control people's minds and they were scared of that and they kind of wanted to do that themselves so instead of i guess like researching about these drugs they just decided to experiment them on people so it was kind of first-hand research i guess but uh these projects happened out um these experiments happened on a bunch of universities and in some hospitals and even like brothels within the United States. Um, and we don't really know a whole lot of specifics. Uh, over 20,000 documents were destroyed once this sort of program uh, came to light. Um, Richard Helms, who uh, he, oh, what did Richard Helms do? He was, um, he was the one who, uh, like, he said, we have to destroy all these documents. Um, he was the CIA director after Alan Dulles. And um, I think Richard Helms had more of a crucial role in what exactly happened in these programs. Um, there's been over 150 different funded research projects that we at least know of. Um, and we'll be talking a bit about them today. Um, where do you want to start? Do you have like a 
I guess we should just start like what they did, right? Yeah, I'd just like to get into a little bit more on Richard Helms. Yeah, for sure. Understanding him is pretty important because obviously you have Alan Dulles, who essentially was a part of kicking it all off with Sidney Gottlieb, who it seems like brought his work home to the United States and then Canada. But Richard Helms actually began his work in the Office of Strategic Services, which was known as the OSS. Mm-hmm. during World War II and then slightly after. But what a lot of people don't know is that OSS was the precursor to the CIA. So even before Richard Helms took over for Alan Dulles, he was already ingrained in the system, probably at a little bit of a lower level, but he knew it was going on. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like to just connect is people who weren't technically in the beginning of the project were in other organizations that had the ability to handle these projects as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a very wide array of people who were connected to these things, and I'm assuming that that's why they had to destroy so many documents, because it wasn't just yeah. the CIA. It was the precursor to the CIA, and it was in other countries, and I'm sure there were other organizations involved. Actually, I wrote down in my notes that there were over 50 of America's best-known colleges and universities, and yeah. then, like, 20 medical research foundations, mm-hmm. um, major hospitals and prisons and mental institutions that were involved in these experiments as well. Mm-hmm. So 20,000, I think you said, yep. right? That's destroyed what that, documents. Yeah. Yeah. It's 20, a lot. <laughs> destroyed documents are definitely covering up, or at least it seems that they're covering up the wide array of organizations that were involved rather than Mm-hmm. just pointing it at the CIA, which is what they seem to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the majority, yeah. The, the sad thing is those documents had specific names and, you know, specific organizations that were involved in this. But it's also interesting because a lot of those universities that were being used for these type of experiments, they had no idea what was even... They had no idea what was going mm-hmm. on. They had no idea where their funding was coming from. And the CIA used a lot of fronts to kind of make these experiments happen in a lot of these universities and stuff like that, which I I find interesting, right? Like, it's... I feel like there's two sides to this. We have one side where it's almost like they're actually trying to learn something. They They're funding universities and they're... They're giving them, like, the bare minimum information that they need to conduct these experiments. They probably gave them LSD, a little background on LSD, and probably different things to do to people while on LSD. But I I just don't understand why why do you have that in major universities and stuff like that, and then also be conducting your own kind of behind-the-scenes experiments. They conducted it on our own military, in different interrogations with other countries. So it seems like they're they're trying to learn something from this, like at an academia standpoint, but they're also like, they're trying to, like, they're literally trying to control people with these experiments. They're they're trying to Mm -hmm. learn information, they're trying to, it's just, it's very broad, and it's too bad because those 20,000 pages have so much information that we just will never will never know. So that's why there's probably going to be a lot of speculation in this. Um, 
but you know that's a good thing so yeah i think what our goal is essentially would be to try and give a story to the people that were involved in those 20,000 page pages mm -hmm. that were either knowingly involved in the experiments or unknowingly involved in the experiments so that at the end of the day even though we're never going to know their story or their name from those 20,000 pages we can shed a little bit of light on it so that it makes a little bit more sense to anyone who's trying to dive into it or just wants something interesting to listen to. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of, I mean, it's horrific, right, what they did, but there's also a lot of just interesting things. Um, mm -hmm. let's, um, let's go into, I want to talk about this specific um, psychiatric hospital or whatever you want to call it um it was called Ravenscrag and it was in Montreal Canada and it was one of the CIA funded programs and a lot of people say like this is supposedly the worst of the worst at least what we know there's again a lot we don't know but what we do know from this is uh there was a British chemist and psychiatrist named Donald Cameron and he was uh, he's he was very well known and he kind of ran this clinic in Montreal um, supposedly he had no idea that the funding for his experiments came from the CIA but there are some people that disagree with that too uh, one of the weird things that I or not just, just interesting is he was paid $579,000 to do these experiments. He's paid by the CIA, and I don't know, he said he didn't know where the money came from, but that's a mm -hmm. lot of money to just not have any questions about what you're doing and just, you know, go along with it. But yeah. he came up with these three kind of things to do to people while on LSD. Uh, it's called sleep therapy, psychic driving, and depattering. And basically what they would do is one of the main components of his specific research was he would shock people with intense electric treatment so much so that his patients would just completely regress and they would be in like a comatose state and they just, they were a potato. They really had no idea what was going on. And, uh, Eventually, after this, that's called psychic driving. They would shock these people, and then basically they become a potato. And then they would do depattering, and he would have pre-recorded videos uh, or audios saying random things to his patients, and he would honestly torture them. They talked about um, isolation chambers that he would put them in, and these very strange situations to be tripping on a drug almost just torturing these people who were supposedly just mental patients they just needed they needed therapy and instead they were given LSD and other stuff um, one lady specifically was given 14 IV injections and she ref she tried to refuse some at times but eventually she was just given more and more um, I don't know. There's part of this that's interesting. This is this is the side of like they're trying to learn something in my eyes. They mm -hmm. they want to understand this drug because we we also have to realize this was uh, 
in the 50s and 60s. So we're talking 70 years ago. I'm assuming LSD was relatively new. And they knew very little about it, but they knew enough that it was something very powerful. And they just wanted to figure out what to do. Um, and Ravenscraig was one of those instances where mental health patients were just taken advantage of without their knowledge. None of these patients knew what LSD was. They had no idea that they would be given this, you know, crazy drug. And a lot of them were just scarred afterwards. Um, a lot of Canadians ended up suing the CIA and I think even their own government. Um, so yeah, I guess this is just one of those just crazy instances of of that trying yeah. to yeah. It's interesting to like see how fast LSD came up into modern culture because even nowadays, you know, you hear about it here and there, but it's mostly in people and in conversations that you normally don't have on a regular basis. Like exactly. obviously nowadays, alcohol, marijuana, mm -hmm. those are things that are coming up a little bit more often. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to LSD, that's still on the outside of what is generally considered acceptable. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's important to kind of understand how LSD came into even the minds of the CIA or these people who were um, conducting experiments. And one thing that I learned in my research was that a lot of it came from the counterculture movement, which you thought of being, you know, like free love, you know, doing drugs, doing whatever essentially you wanted to rebel against the system and really restrictive parents and things like that. And one song that really popped into my mind was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, mm -hmm. which was released in 1967 by the Beatles. But if you do a little bit deeper look into even just the title, Lucy, take out in the sky, or in the sky, take out with and diamonds, LSD. No one makes a song called Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And the Beatles obviously had that change from these shaved, you know, upstanding young men mm -hmm. all the way to these bearded, you know, different outer sort of society looking people who it was like there was a change and I wonder if LSD was a part of it and then whether they were either paid to or just naturally started promoting it because LSD, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, is most definitely not a coincidence and it's <laughs> yeah. gone through in many research articles. Uh -huh. So I think it, it's just like LSD came into the forefront really quick yeah. and then these people saw an opportunity or maybe were guiding this into the forefront to begin with but once it was there, they were going to do it to experiment. Yeah, it definitely, they were definitely in a panic about LSD and like the potential that it had uh, just for like power structures. And they really were scared of the Soviets. Um, there, I was reading one thing that one of, uh, I don't know if this is necessarily true. I saw it on a few different sources, but there was like a CIA, they were doing, they were trying to figure out, they were just doing research on LSD. They were trying to buy it from the Soviets. They didn't even, that was the other thing. Like they knew what it was, but they also, they needed to know like who had LSD, right? Like mm -hmm. it was being sold on, on the internet in various places and they just needed to find it. And one of the things that they found in their research was 
over a hundred million doses of LSD was being sold by the Soviets, but there was like a mistake in uh, measurements. And instead of a hundred million doses, it was just a hundred doses. Even if that's oh, not, wow. yeah, even if that's not true, um, it, it speaks to like their, they were just scared and they wanted to find, I think they actually wanted excuses to like start these experiments. And it, the, the excuses probably were, we have to, we have to do this before the Soviets do. We have to understand this drug before the Chinese do, because if we don't, and there's something inside that drug that you know, allows them to have a one up on us. We just we can't let that happen. And it it's mm-hmm. it's sad, right? That's like our whole that's that's like our country. We have to be number one. And the only way to be number one is to do these heinous things, right? Like Yeah, you gotta go even further than the other teams going. Yeah. You gotta exactly. You have to look at every possible angle and explore it. And that's that's really what they did here. Um, what else, I guess we could go into, there's one specific story, um, his name is Frank Olson, uh, he was, this is like the well-known proven death of this program, there's, um, there's obviously a lot of proven instances of people just being tortured. We talked about Montreal earlier, but this one, this dude actually died. And he was um, he was also an American chemist who was working for the CIA and he really he had he had no idea about this program. He was he was drugged actually. He was drugged by Sidney Gottlieb and another doctor, Dr. Robert Lashbrook. They put uh, over, let's see here, 70 micrograms of LSD in his glass. And shortly afterwards, you know, he was just, he was, I don't even know what 70 micrograms is. I'm assuming it's a lot. But he, <laughs> he, he started tripping balls, right? He was, he was going insane, bouncing off the walls. And he had no idea what was happening to him because he was drugged unknowingly. Um, after he started to trip a few days afterwards he was being treated in new york or he was going to treatment in new york um the original place where this happened was in a base in north carolina i believe and they uh, they they saw that mr olson was going through a psychotic episode and thought we should probably help this dude out. We drugged him, probably should see a doctor or something. Um, So they stay in this hotel in New York and it's a few days after he had been drugged and Mr. Olson just suicide jumps to his death out of a window that wasn't even open, which I found the most interesting. Like I, after reading this story of Frank Olson, I, I just thought he really did commit suicide and he was just dealing with the trauma of not knowing that he was tripping on LSD, but he jumped through a window that literally was closed. He had to shatter the window to fall to his death in a very nice hotel room, which probably, I don't know, there's just a lot of, 
There were a lot makes of... Makes you wonder, did he jump through or was he pushed? Exactly. So, <laughs> well, and there's... It, everything that we've, like, kind of done so far points to he's probably pushed through. After his death, they covered it up for 20 years. He had a wife and kid. They told him he committed suicide. Yep. Yeah, and he they didn't they didn't actually tell them the specifics of his death. They didn't tell him he was drugged. They tried to hide it, and they did cover it up for, I think it was over 20 years. And... It, again, it just speaks to the volume that we do. We just, we can't have nice things. The fact that we're drugging, he worked for our own government. He worked for the CIA, he worked for the military and we drugged him. <laughs> like, I, it's one thing I don't understand is we're like, we know enough about this drug at this point to know that it does probably horrific things to people and we're still, doing inhumane research by just drugging our own officials. Like, why? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So it goes on. He, um, they cover it up, blah, blah, blah. There's another one later. Uh, let's pull this one up. It was, and this is, um, it's basically the same story as Dr. Um, Dr. Olson, except uh, this was conducted somewhere in Asia. We don't even know. And this program was called Derby Hat, and it was DMK Ultra in in Asia. The same program, just different name, different location. Um, this man was given six micrograms of LSD compared to the seventy, and he still was. He was also. He was going through it, you know, tripping like crazy. He had no idea what was going on, and he was being interrogated at this time, too. Um, so I'm just going to read a bit here. It says, For the next three hours, the subject remained in about the same condition. Continued attempts at interrogation yielded no relevant answers. Six hours after receiving the drug, the subject began giving relevant answers to questions. Eight and one, eight and one half hours after the initial dose, the subject was polygraphed. The interrogation continued for 17 and a half hours after the drug was administered. So they are obviously using this drug to try to get in. They're interrogating people. They're trying to see if it's like a truth serum, which was one of the things that they also were trying to just discover was, can we find something that just makes people tell the truth and nothing but the truth? Uh, I just thought that was interesting that... We have this, we're doing this program not only in the States, but in other countries, and we're torturing these people. Like, our government is very clearly torturing these people. It is not good. Mm -hmm. um, what else do we want to go into? I, well, I'd just like to make a little bit of a point here. So it seems mm -hmm. like maybe their initial plans weren't so sinister. It yeah. seems like maybe they were truly doing it to get a leg up on the Soviet Union, which their methods obviously were immoral. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, without condoning it, they seem to have been actually doing it for real political and military purposes, which yeah. is interesting because I've seen a lot of connection to the military in this. And one thing that I was interested in pursuing was, is it possible that they were doing this on regular individuals or maybe even extending it into former military to see if they could 
use these drugs and these methods to get information from people who initially would have been able to, based on their training, withhold the information if they ever had a spy that they caught or mm -hmm. anyone else. Um, so one person that I really did a deep dive into was Julian West, okay. who had four really interesting patients, actually. And uh, one of them is Jack Ruby, who... Really? Um, yep, Jack Ruby, Patricia Hurst, who escaped from... I Wait, think she was Jack from Ruby, a wealthier family. Jack Ruby shot... Yeah. Um, what's shot, his face, right? Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. That's right, yep. yeah. Um, Dude. Patricia Hurst, who oh escaped... God. Just wait, it's, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Oh, boy. Uh, Sirhan Sirhan. Oh, God. Shot at uh, Ronald Reagan. Yes. And Timothy McVeigh. Yep. And who was the Oklahoma so, City bomber, right? Yep, who was the Oklahoma City bomber. So I believe, and this is just my own personal opinion being projected onto their methods. But yeah. It seems as though they initially started doing this to get information from spies and uh, members of the military from opposing forces who would be unwilling to give this information under their own volition. Uh -huh. And it seems almost as though, especially in other um, extensions of MKUltra, like Operation Spellbinder, which was run by Sidney Gottlieb, uh, they were trying to create mind control assassins, essentially. Mm -hmm. And one thing that really, and I couldn't find too many connections to actually MKUltra or any of the external studies that were being done, but one person, Mark David Chapman, who um, assassinated the Beatles singer, what's his name again, John Lennon. Mm -hmm. uh, so he essentially just gunned him down in front of his apartment. And immediately after, he starts reading The Catcher in the Rye. That's right, yeah. Which is known as like this really harsh conspiracy, conspiracy book and other things like that. But you just assassinated someone, and then you just sit down and start reading a book. Who does that? that no is... one does that. You either have to be extremely mentally disturbed, which obviously you would have to do to assassinate someone. Uh -huh. But even that sort of person, you'd expect them to either try and pin it on someone else run away, escape, all of these things. He sat there, read the book, and then it almost seemed like he didn't do it because he wanted to yeah. at the end of the day. So it kind of goes along with the Operation Spellbinder, which was later in the program when they started bumping off of the initial, you know, Canada studies and um, other MKUltra initial studies where they were trying to get people in such a dissociative state through hypnosis, LSD, sleep deprivation, and electroshock that they could get them to carry out things that they wouldn't if they were in their right mind. Mm -hmm. So, And then not remember at all what they did, just have zero... Not, yeah, not remember at all what they did. But it's really convenient for these people because, you know, right after Jack Ruby shot Lee Harvey, Lee Harvey Oswald, Jack Ruby could never answer for his crimes. Why could he answer for his crimes? He was, he was also shot. Yep. <laughs> Sirhan Sirhan gets locked away in prison forever, so he did have an ability to answer for what he did. And he's out now, I think. And Timothy, yeah, Timothy McVeigh, I believe, did he even survive? It's, I don't look. think he ever made it to prison. Let's take a look at that, but it's almost as though these people who were patients of this ex-military psychiatrist who was involved in these MK Ultra expansion programs 
didn't have the opportunity to answer for what they did or didn't have the ability to answer for why they did it. Mm -hmm. uh, McVeigh was sentenced and sentenced. he died. He was sentenced he to okay. death. I don't know if he... Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, so uh, I just want to backtrack a bit. So who was the doctor that had those, who, who had these guys as his patient? These crazy... Uh, Dr. Julian West. He okay. ex-military and it seemed like he had a lot of patients who were in really questionable circumstances while they were overseas fighting in the military. Mm -hmm. And I think Timothy McVeigh was one of those people who, whether it was when Julian West got back to America and was operating out of um, forts in the United States that were run by the military, or while he was over there, these people just came back and were not the same person and then committed crimes that they couldn't answer to Yeah. Motive. Yeah, they're they just Manchurian candidates. Yeah, that's about, yeah, Manchurian candidates. And there's just so many people that could be Manchurian candidates, like Lee Harvey Oswald, mm -hmm. uh, James Earl Ray, who assassinated Martin Luther King Jr., Sirhan Sirhan, who tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan. All of these people who have really strong connections to one of the most secretive experiments and studies of all time, it's, it just raises a lot of questions to as, mm -hmm. how did they do it? Was it LSD? Was it sleep deprivation? Was it electroshock? Mm -hmm. Or was it none of the none of them and they were all just crazy? Yeah, I, I do want to give, I don't want to give credit, but I do think, backtracking a lot, I think their initial kind of motive for this was to have some sort of Manchurian candidate or somebody who could do the dirty work without realizing it, without their without their free will, and then also just have no memory of it afterwards. I think that's really what they were trying to do. And we we won't know if they if they actually succeeded in that, right? We we just won't mm -hmm. know. And I don't know, I guess we could kind of speculate here now. I think they did. Honestly, I I, I have a feeling they at least found some relevant information on this drug or on some sort of method where they realized they could control a human being and have full control of them and use them in whatever way they want. Now, is that still going on today? I don't know. I, it wouldn't surprise me, but good, like, if we go back to those four patients that doctor, I forget his name again. They they're all they all did something heinous too, right? They're all one had a bomb, the others tried murdering political officials, right? And I guess if we try to connect this with the JFK assassination, we you know Jack Ruby was one of his patients. He couldn't speak for himself, but it wouldn't surprise me if. Lee Harvey was also, you know, some sort of MK Ultra victim, and he just got caught up in this and eventually murdered JFK, which Alan Dulles was a huge not he hated JFK, and he was the CIA director at this time. There's just a lot mm -hmm. of names that keep coming up, like again and again, and I don't know if we want to put our tinfoil hats on. I could totally see a connection between, like, a Manchurian candidate and him murdering JFK. 
Well, JFK, a few weeks prior to his assassination, was talking about suspending Just, the CIA. Exactly, and Alan Dulles was the director of it. Like, why would he want? Why would he want that to happen? He wouldn't, especially when you have programs like this actively going on, and you get rid of the CIA. You, there's just a lot of. He was probably extremely nervous that all of this was going to come out, and. They probably were just doing these experiments to cover their own ass. At the end of the day, they probably got so deep into it that they're like, all right, we have a Manchurian candidate. Now we have to use this Manchurian candidate to cover up all of this MK Ultra shit that we did. And they did that by killing JFK, who was going to probably expose all of this and get rid of the CIA. So it's almost just like this big circle, right? I don't know. It's kind of yeah. interesting. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Jack Ruby served in the military, too. Tim McVeigh was a decorated veteran. Yeah. And then they just carry out all these things. Yeah. You would almost assume that, and it does set up the story well for Jack Ruby, you know, you're killing the United States president. This guy may have a strong connection to the United States and think of himself as a patriot. I mean, that story makes more sense, mm -hmm. whereas... He's taking out the person who took out either his hero or who he yeah. saw as the leader of his country that he served. Mm -hmm. But I don't understand the Timothy McVeigh version of it where he's under this psychiatrist and then carries out this heinous um, bombing attack that killed even kids and things like yeah, that. Yeah, there's a just, daycare. <laughs> yeah, there's a daycare there. Those. But that's not a very good explanation, even in the mainstream stories with these yeah. events, to make these connections invalid. So at yes. the end of the day, it's hard to prove the true connection because of so many destroyed documents and spaces that are just left without information. Mm -hmm. But it leaves you to think is there enough information pointing to their true motive? that's either said or unsaid in the mainstream or that you can create in your mind to, you know, give them a reason for the actions that they did? Or is there nothing that could explain that? And then this is the next best option. Mm, yeah. Ah, yeah. I really think, I don't know, I just go back. I kind of just have to give them, I don't give them credit, but they probably were just... They were just fearful, and they just they just wanted to get a one up on everyone, and this was this was the way they did it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get real conspiratorial, real quick. Yeah. Um, and say you know maybe this was going on a little bit longer than we thought. Mm -hmm. We have Kurt Cobain, this guy who's super successful, but you can tell something's going on with him. He has a lyric in his songs where he says just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're after you. And the mainstream story, right, is mm -hmm. he committed suicide, right? Right. It's almost like, if you want to get super conspiratorial, as I'm saying, mm -hmm. are they just taking these people out, like the guy who jumped through a closed window once they realize what's going on? Because at a certain point, you're so dissociated that you might not even know what happened to you, and you're wondering where this blank space of time that happened in your life went. Yeah. And then there might be other people who either weren't dosed as much or were just a little bit more resistant or had enough time to recover and then realize, oh, something happened, dig into it a little bit more, 
this is what happened, and then they're gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's probably, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if after they realized all of these, you know, these experiments were happening and, like, the shit they did to people, they probably had to go back and find some of these people and just see what they're, like, are they, are they still crazy? Are they, are they trying to sue the CIA? You know, like, they, they probably had to keep tabs on everything they did. And again, it, it was so broad to where even the ones who were working on this project and the ones who knew about everything, there probably was very little coherence between everyone. And I know for a fact, um, the uh, program that was in Europe, it was called Derby Hat was in Asia and the one in Europe, I can't remember which one it was called, but uh, there were a bunch of different kind of programs in Europe, and they only met with each other twice a year. So the collaboration between these projects, I guarantee it was it was very little. And the people who were running the individual projects probably had full control of what was going on, so much to the point where it became... Uh, like individual motives in many of these cases rather than sticking to this we gotta like find a Manchurian candidate and I think that's where we find a lot of like the torture instances and whatnot is where these people who were given funding and then they kind of just went rogue you know um, oh, there's another quote I was trying to pull up from here well we were also talking about like soldiers and they had administered that document that we were pointing up earlier they administered more than a thousand, and these people were volunteers. They had soldiers who they knew they were tripping on drugs, but they wanted to just see what it did to their physical abilities and their abilities to communicate with each other on the battlefield. So they really, again, they really were just exploring every aspect of this drugs possible and trying to get the most benefits out of it, which. Mm -hmm you you can't fault them for because at the end of the day they probably were just trying to make America a safer place and make their own lives like safer but it went too far right you know they violated the Nuremberg codes like <laughs> they I feel like they had good intentions but carried out completely in the wrong way. Um, what else do you want to talk about? Well, I have one more note just before we close on all that. Timothy Leary, who I've just always known his name but never really knew anything about him. So yeah. for that reason, I always thought that he was just this guy who committed these crimes and just you kind of lose him in the track of everyone else who has mm -hmm. i did a little bit more research into him and he was a professor at harvard and he was deeply involved in lsd and the whole counterculture movement and one thing that i found i don't really want to go into him too much other than his connections to what we've been talking about mm -hmm. dr jordan peterson took his position as professor at harvard 
Really? So it's really interesting to see these connections to these people who have, you know, a little bit too close and friendly of a relationship with the drug LSD and the uh, experiments that were going on and Mm -hmm. then apply it to the modern world. Yeah. So Jordan Peterson might be completely innocent, but at the end of the day, I still think it's interesting to connect him to the exact position of someone else who was involved in subverting the culture unnaturally because a lot of people do think that the counterculture just started moving forward as a natural um, experience anti-war free love Mm -hmm. all these things that weren't really prevalent beforehand but what i've come to realize over the last you know three years of looking into all of the topics and even more than what we've discussed is almost nothing that makes it so strongly into the mainstream is entirely organic the entire way up. So when you connect all of these people and these experiments and the information that you know, Mm -hmm. it's almost as though nothing natural is becoming so popular that you read it on your phone, laptop, or anything else like that. Unless there's a driving force financially yeah politically behind it to make sure that that gets to the forefront yeah you know what i'm saying yeah i definitely we this def yeah this is not like mainstream news i guess this is okay the the idea of this is mainstream news right but the specifics are not and they they almost can't be right or they don't Uh want them to be yeah yeah, it's almost like they'll give you a piece of it so it feels like you know exactly what you're talking about and thinking about. Mm-hmm. But then when you realize that there's 20,000 destroyed documents <laughs> yeah. and nothing ever Ugh. truly came from the investigations in Congress, it's almost as though you're being fed a little bit of a treat over here so you don't look the other way. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. I guess... To kind of give a little hope, there's no hope in this, right? But um, there's, I kind of want to switch and talk to, so we, we, we conducted these experiments in, on the Danish specifically, and specifically orphans. Um, and this came out recently, like 2021. And there were MKUltra documents. Uh, I got to find this quote first. Um, but CIA had been running experiments um, in other countries, and I can't find. Here we go. All right. In December of 2021, radio documentarian Per Wenick, that's his name, discovered 36 boxes of MK Ultra records stored at a psychiatric center in Copenhagen, in a Copenhagen suburb. When he asked for access, the center shredded the records in violation of Danish law. So it's, this is, if, if we want to kind of just have a broad scope, our government is not the only one doing this, and our government is not the only one covering it up. But I have a very strong, we definitely started this. Like, we probably were the ones to fund almost every sort of experiment like this, whether it's in our own country or in other countries, but if there's just a major takeaway, like, 
If we're, our, not the only we're, we're not the only ones, but we're also the ones who are going to take it to the full extent. Like, yeah, just, I guess we'll keep it at that, yeah. Also, um, this is just kind of interesting. Um, but they wanted to drug Castro, right? I'm sure you kind of saw yep. something about this. And uh, Gottlieb, the guy who was, Dr. Gottlieb, who was kind of heading this, he proposed spraying Fidel Castro's television studio with LSD and saturating his shoes with thallium to make his beard fall out. So, and they also hatched up plans to like assassinate them. But it's also like, okay, they like that would just be embarrassing, right? Like, what are we like? Why would we want? Like, we're trying to humiliate Castro now. Like, I don't know. There's just so many weird. It's just interesting. Like, why are we doing this? We're trying to poison his cigars and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. I thought we – if you have anything else, I feel like we covered it. Yeah, a I think amount. a lot of connections were definitely made. And it's kind of like some of the other podcasts that we've had where either the listeners or anyone – who's just researching this in general and has no connection to our podcast is going to have to make their own connections and fill in the blanks on their own because there's only so much one person can do to understand this before you just get so obsessed with it that it takes over your life. You just can't go too deep into (laughs) how the U.S. government and governments across the world were essentially torturing people without them knowing it. Yeah. It's not good for your own mental health. Yeah, it's not good for your own mental health, and it almost seems like another way for you to dissociate from the reality around you, because the reality around you every day, you wake up, there's birds chirping, the sky's blue, you can wake up and do almost everything in the world that you could possibly want to, as long as you're hardworking and motivated, but Mm -hmm. for these people who are involved in it, they couldn't. They physically couldn't, they mentally couldn't. And it was the result of people who didn't have the proper intentions through and through. So to focus on everything involved in what we've talked about too much is just counterproductive for your own life. And there's always going to be those empty spaces where you don't know what's going on. But it's almost better that there are those empty spaces because if you did fill them in, you'd probably end up... More questions. Yeah, you'd probably end up almost voluntarily bringing yourself into an experiment that's been over for so long it should have no effect on you whatsoever yeah yeah that's all that is also like to focus heavily on these things it's obviously it's good to be informed like people should know this happened right but Mm -hmm. this is the most research i'm going to do on this topic if i'm being honest right I, i i you just can't continue reading government documents and because at the end of the day so what it doesn't do anything it doesn't change anything it it happened already and you're just yeah you're falling into being out of touch with reality the deeper you try to dive into these things especially when Mm -hmm. there there's proven unknowns we it is proven that we will not know things so when you're speculating about it it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't solve anything so i think that's a good that's a good point yeah i like that mm-hmm. but yeah um i don't know if you have any 
other suggestions or comments? Um, you know, I think that's about all that I have. Pretty yeah. interesting thing to talk about, though, at the end of the day. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I mean, I hope people will kind of, if you haven't heard about this, they'll at least kind of know what happened. But, no, it's it's horrific, and it's it's just always a good reminder to have that some people just are heinous. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you can't have nice things. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> government. So. Yeah. All right, well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to our third episode. Um, I don't know what you want to do next. We'll kind of have to figure that out. Um, but there's an endless amount of things we could talk about, so I'm not too yeah. worried. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. I appreciate your, your viewership. Maybe we'll get money out of you at some point, too. Bye. <laughs>